Mother. Wife. Air Force veteran. Gun rights advocate. This is Stacy on the Right. Here's your host, Stacy Washington. So exciting to be with a good friend of the show and someone that I admire and respect greatly, Joel C. Rosenberg. He's a New York Times, USA Today, and Publishers Weekly best-selling author. His latest is The Libyan Diversion, at Joel C. Rosenberg on Twitter. You can find him on our Twitter feed for tonight. Thank you so much for joining me again tonight, Joel. Stacey, it's great to be with you, and shalom from Jerusalem. Shalom. Okay, so, wow, what a Jerusalem connection I've had over the past month or so. We had a Jerusalem prayer breakfast here in St. Louis where I got to hear from the leader of the Knesset, and then here you are. And, yes. of course, um, there's so much news surrounding Jerusalem and the nation state of Israel because of the 75th anniversary. So it's such a great time right. to have you here. Thank you. Well, it's an honor. It's great to be back with you. Thank you, Stacey, for having me. So I love it when you have a new book out, which is not a rare occurrence. You're a prolific author. And here you now have this book. It's called um, The Libyan Diversion. Why did you write this? The Libyan Diversion is a novel that's been sort of cooking in me. Uh, It came out of, well, it's the fifth in a series of uh, novels about a, a character, my main character named Marcus Riker. Riker was in college in the first book when it started. Uh, he sees 9-11 happen on television, and he joins the Marines the next day. Eventually, he serves in multiple combat tours uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq, where he's wounded in combat and decorated. He marries his high school sweetheart. He joins the U.S. Secret Service. He ends up working on the presidential protective detail. And then as the novels unfold over time, I won't give it all away, but he he ends up working for the Central Intelligence Agency. So I've been meeting him through a series of horror shows, worst case scenarios, over over four other books. But but this one, Stacey, came out of a very interesting conversation with a friend of mine. The friend happens to be the former CIA director and secretary of state, Mike Pompeo. Um, and Pompeo and I were together at an event um, in Washington um, on the weekend uh, of the of you know that we were memorializing the 9/11 attacks um, 20 years earlier. So this was September of 2021, and I was interviewing him at this event, and I, we covered you know all the major threats you you could think of to the United States, Iran, China, Russia, North Korea. But I said I asked him a question I hadn't I hadn't intended to ask Stacy. I said, "So what am I not asking you that I ought to be right? What what is keeping you up at night um, that makes you worried about U.S. national security that maybe I'm not focused on and that I should be?" And he said, "Joel, I would be focused. And what keeps me up at night is are the ungoverned spaces in northern Mexico." I'm like, "Okay, could you elaborate on that?" And he said, yeah, basically, Mexico, the Mexican government is increasingly surrendering large swaths of territory in its northern tier along the southern U.S. border to drug cartels and human traffickers and organized crime syndicates and so forth. And he said, this is becoming very, very dangerous. This is why, he said, um, President Trump, Vice President Pence himself and others we're working so hard to build a border wall, uh, the Remain in Mexico policy, Title 42, building up the Border Patrol and so forth. Why? Because you don't want, you know, drugs and human traffickers and 
you know, and others, um, you know, coming into your country. As I thought about that in the, in the days and weeks ahead, Stacey, I started thinking about what if, what if radical Islamist terrorists who no longer can just get on a plane, maybe fake their IDs, whatever, it's not easy to get into the United States as a terrorist anymore post 9-11. But apparently it is if you just walk across the border from Mexico into the United States. And so the, the Libyan diversion is really about that what if worst case scenario, what if terrorists from this part of the world, Middle East, come to your part of the world and they just enter through, into the United States through Mexico because nobody's stopping them. And then what if they're also bringing radiological nuclear dirty bombs, not just to pull off a 9-11 style attack, but a nuclear 9-11. And that freaked me out so much. I thought that's a novel I've got to write. And that's the Libyan diversion. Wow. So the storylines in your books, and this is just from my experience interviewing you for a couple of these fantastic best-selling books that you write, um, they tend to follow along a trajectory that is very real, very ripped from the headlines, but then you fictionalize it so that we can have characters that we can kind of fall in love with and follow along with, like Riker. Um, and I want to take the listeners back just a little bit for a brief moment while we have you, because I... I'm not sure. going to bump into you at, you know, the Walgreens here in St. Louis, so I got to get you while I can. Um, <laughs> that would be fun. Talk to us a little bit about when you decided you were going to create this character, Riker. How did you, like, did he, did the character come to you or did you kind of create him out of people that you saw and knew? How did you come up with him? Right. So, <clears throat> you know, many best-selling thriller writers in the United States write like a single character, they call it a franchise character. You literally build your whole career around this character, right? Ian Fleming back in the 60s wrote James Bond, right? What else did he have to write? Once you got James Bond, you're, you're good for, you're good forever, right? And, uh, you know, and you had, uh, you know, other, um, you know, major thriller writers. Um, you've got uh, Lee Child has the Jack Reacher series. It's like 40 books, you know, right? So you, you usually write one character. I have not done that. Uh, for better or for worse, I, I've written a series of series, you know, five books here, three books here, two books there, or one book, whatever. And, but I knew this time I, I wanted a character who could potentially go the distance if I decided to do that, and I haven't decided yet. But I, I, and I thought, okay, I, I need every thriller, every good thriller character in the political thriller genre have to have the skills to be able to kill people, right? Right, bad guys. And uh, so, okay, so I'm like, all right, so what, but I didn't want him to be a, a spy, or I'm sorry, an assassin. Um, I'm not necessarily morally opposed to being an assassin if you had to in the military to take out bad guys, but James Bond was an assassin, really, 007, right? Um, Jason Bourne, assassin. Uh, Mitch Rapp, the character from the beloved Vince Flynn series. Assassin. Now, this is this is the mainstay, but I thought no, I, I want to do something different. So I wanted Marcus. The, the first thing I knew about him is that he has these incredible skills, but his character, his personality, his instinct is not as a hunter, but as a protector. And so, yes, he's a marine, but he's also on the U.S. Secret Service, right? He's protecting his country, its leaders, its values, its freedoms. That's that's who he is. That's in column A on my sort of yellow legal pad. In column B, 
I thought I, I need him not only to be incredibly good at what he does, but he needs to be wounded. So he is physically wounded from multiple combat tours. But without giving too much away, but I will say this, we're in book five. His wife and only son had been murdered early on in the series. And in fact, in book one, let's just give that part away, uh, which creates a huge emotional, spiritual, psychological wound in him, right? He basically, Marcus Riker has spent his entire professional life protecting his country and its leaders, and he couldn't protect the two people that he loves most. And this is creating a sense of guilt and, and depression. And it's in that scenario that he gets pulled in back into government service when he doesn't really want to do it. And I thought that's a, that's a complex enough character for me to be able to run with for a long time. Um, why is he getting into government service if he doesn't want to go? Um, is he ever going to get married again? How can he get married again when he was in love with his high school sweetheart and doesn't, you know, doesn't, can't even picture getting remarried? And yet, is he going to be single for the next 40 or 50 years of his life? And yet, who, who's going to marry a guy who this is his life? And yet, you know, so these levels of complexities um, I thought were interesting. I thought, all right, well, the character has to interest me. I hope that they, he interests other people, too. But if I'm bored with him, then I know other people will be, too. Well, I, I don't see how we could be bored with him after the description you've just given of a man bereft of the people he loves most in the world while protecting those he feels a duty to, um, you know, as, as his role. As partially, I mean, obviously, as a military person, that's one aspect of it. But then you talk about him being a part of the U.S. intelligence apparatus, which is really under attack right now because of some very bad actions that were taken that have been exposed in the Durham report. And so is there is there an intersection between what we've recently learned about some of the actions taken by previous presidential administrations before Trump was in office and what you've written about in your book? Well, that's a great question, Stacey. And I don't want I want to be careful and not give too much away about the Libyan diversion. This, the one that's out now is uh, hit. It, it quickly hit the number one terrorism thriller on Amazon. It's been it's it's doing well. But there is an element in which. There is a tremendous tension going on inside the CIA uh, between one major figure in the CIA and Marcus, and w- in, in which this this guy wants to drive Marcus out of the CIA and is leaking classified intelligence to try to discredit him, um, even while uh, the main bad guy, the, the worst terrorist on the planet. A, a guy who uh, goes by his war name, Nom de Guerre, uh, Abu Nakba, which in Arabic is the, the father of catastrophe. He is the main nemesis to Marcus. He's the person that Marcus is hunting, uh, even though usually he's a he's a protector, not a hunter. But in this case, to, to protect the country, he has to go get Abu Nakba, and he can't do it. And, and Abu Nakba is trying to discredit him and trying to, you know, he Abu Nakba can't defeat him. So he's trying to discredit him so no one in Washington will listen to him, including the president, including the head of the CIA. And so so Marcus is finding himself challenged by an external enemy. But it turns out he has an internal enemy inside the intelligence community also, and both of it is are hampering his ability to protect the country. So 
take that where you want to go. But uh, yeah, there's some things that are fake news and some things are there are real there are real divisions and there are real problems inside the U.S. intelligence community right now, um, both at the FBI, also at the CIA. I'm not saying that everybody's there. Those places are bad, but there's been some spectacularly bad calls in recent years that are shaking American confidence in in their law enforcement and intelligence community at the highest levels. And this is a problem for a superpower. It is. And so it, it's fascinating what you shared there when I, I kind of think about, um, you know, I, obviously the Durham report is on everyone's minds right now, but then there's sure. also um, like there's there's the way that we look forward for 2024. And then you talk about your characters. And I I don't know if other authors or other interviewers ask you this, but um, have you ever thought about or is there any chance that you might turn one of these books or one of the series it would have to be the series into a group of movies you mentioned the the born you know born identity this born series of books and others that the, these are things that have been popularly very very successful in the theaters and we have such a dearth of good writing good screenwriting i mean everything's so woke nothing's entertaining you saw what happened with uh top right. gun maverick the, the second installation of that it, it just burned the theaters down like 50 times because i know our family we saw it three times in the theater it was that good and we were so desperate for a movie that didn't have any yeah. overtones no no political things your right. books i wouldn't say your books are political but they do they do run along the same timeline and trajectory as what's happening in american life and internationally but they, they would be great movies. Well, I appreciate that. First of all, they are political. They are, they're political thrillers, and they would be much more appealing to someone whose show might be called Stacy on the Right than <laughs> were your show called Stacy on the Left. Okay, So um, it doesn't mean that I don't have uh, characters who see the world differently. You know, I mean, there's, there's complex characters in there, but definitely I'm coming from a center-right perspective um and 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 also as a and as, a, as an evangelical doesn't mean that there's faith permeated in every page of my book or, but there's certainly elements of that as well um and and also yeah my my novels don't have graphic uh, obscenities and graphic sexuality so I, i'm constrained by my own moral values on how to write these and so they they do tend to appeal to people more uh, on the right um but you know i'm glad that people on the left are you know, slumming to, to read my books as well, you know, because, you know, if they don't agree with me, like, I get these, I get these tweets about, I don't agree with anything you believe, but you write great stories. So, yeah, I, yeah. Doing it anyway. So, but <laughs> that's the best. We have a production, yeah, we, we have a production deal right now, meaning like developing a script and developing um, a, a plan. I don't know, you know, it took Robert Ludlum, um, about 25 years between the time that the, the, the born identity, the initial uh, novel that he, uh, that he wrote that was so big um, before it was on the New York times bestseller list to the time that Matt Damon was shooting up people on the silver screen. It took about a quarter of a century and Ludlam died while the film was being made. So uh, I'm not holding my breath <laughs> the way Hollywood is much more inclined, sadly to, you know, if, if my book was woke, I would definitely have it, it picked up, and it would be coming. It would become a, a, a movie or a streaming service, a uh, streaming uh, series. But I, I feel cautiously optimistic. Look, you know, um, the Top Gun uh, series obviously is over. Um, uh, 
Tom Cruise, who, you know, we're, Tom Cruise and I are both from Syracuse. So apparently that's where you have to be from to do thrillers. I'm, I'm not saying yeah. you can't do them mm-hmm. from other places, yep. but that yep. must be something about this <laughs> Syracuse, snowy, chilly, I don't know, come up. But, he, you know, he's filmed his last two Mission Impossible movies, and, and that's it. Like, he, he, you know, he can't keep doing this physically forever. So I think there are opportunities coming <laughs> And um, we'll see. I, 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 whether it was a major motion picture series or a streamer series, I'd be open actually to either. There's something fun about thinking about going to see an actual premiere in 70 millimeter Dolby, you know, surround mm-hmm. sound. That sounds yeah. cool. But my novels are, are complex and they're very character driven as well as, you know, these intense plots. And I think there is an element of thinking it'd be fun to see them play out in with more time you know, to be able to develop those um, than a movie allows. So I'm open. Um, we'll see. I, I'm, again, I'm not holding my breath because I don't want to die before it <laughs> And And also, it's no good to hold your breath uh, in, in, in anticipation because some of the best things that happen are a surprise. Even if someone's been asking you about it or it's been mentioned before, when it actually happens, right. it's a surprise. And that, that makes it so much sweeter when you're not expecting it and you're not waiting for it. It just happens because the talent and the uh, energy surrounding that talent is already there. And I really Love think it is. Love and movies tend yeah. to be that way. Yes. I yeah. Think yeah. Are- yep. Just, <laughs> so. well, you know, those are the two. I'd put those in the top two. But other things can also kind of <laughs> delve into that for us. So uh, as we close out here, we're so grateful for your time, especially coming to us from halfway around the world. Um, tell us what's going on in Israel right now as we close out our interview with you. So grateful for your time. Well, it's been interesting here. Um, we had 1,400 rockets and missiles fire, fired at us last week by Palestinian terrorists in Gaza. Uh, thank God that is over. Um, only one Israeli, uh, sadly, but only one uh, was killed in those attacks because we have built the very system that President Reagan said America needed, but America never really built, which is a, a, a state-of-the-art missile defense system that shoots, you know, a bullet out of the sky with another bullet. I mean, that's that's literally what the uh, the left dubbed as Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't have a missile be- kill another missile in mid-flight. What is this, Star Wars, right? And actually you can, and Israel has done it, and, and it saved our lives, and so we're very grateful. But I will tell you one other thing. This whole Libyan diversion plot of Middle Eastern radical Islamist terrorists coming into the United States uh, across that Mexican border, uh, because Biden has canceled and rescinded all of the border security programs that Trump, Pence, Pompeo were all doing that was working. And Biden has stopped building the wall, right? He, he, he scraps Title 42. He dismantled the Remain in Mexico policy. And so 5.7 million people have illegally crossed into the United States just since Biden took over. That That's an invasion. And not, you know, it's it's dangerous. And uh, I, I wrote an op-ed today for my uh, – uh, we have a news site here in Israel called All Israel News. I encourage people to check that out at allisrael.com. But my main, the lead column today is mine, and it's, it's the story of we've learned how to deal with keeping people from just walking into your country when they might be a terrorist or a drug runner or somebody who's dangerous. It's called building a wall. We have them here, um, and they've drawn. After we built the walls um, to the, between us and the Palestinians, uh, suicide bombings and other terrorist attacks dropped by 92 percent. 
And the very fact that there are rocket wars now is because we built a wall that the terrorists couldn't get from Gaza into Israel. So they start shooting over, um, and then we built a system to knock those down. And so uh, Biden needs to learn something from Bibi, (laughs) from Benjamin Bibi Netanyahu, our prime minister. Walls work. And it's not it, there's not a lack of compassion. We want Israelis. We love people to come and visit. And Stacey, we want you to come and do your radio show here. And but you can't. But people can't just walk in if we don't know who they are. And no country should let people just come in if they are bringing fentanyl, which is 50 times more deadly than heroin. The 400 million, 400 million doses of fentanyl came into the United States just last year. That's a that's more than enough to kill every single person in the United States. This is this is so dangerous. And I'm telling you, Stacey, as I wrap up, I'm more worried about U.S. national security right now because of that border crisis than I am about Israeli security. And, you know, we live in the Middle East. That's saying something. Yeah, because you have people who have common sense in charge of your security, and we don't have any sense at all. Uh, in charge of what's going on here in this country, so we have to we have yeah, to work but, hard. And, and let's just pray that the Libyan diversion never comes true. Like I'm, I'm not predicting this. I'm not, you know, I'm not some sort of fortune teller. I'm not saying this novel is going to come true. But if you just left, leave the borders open, why would people who want to do us the worst possible harm, why wouldn't they just walk in, set up shop, and devastate us with nuclear weapons if they can? Well, um, the only way to stop it is, as you said, prayer and then proper education and voting of our electorate. We are so glad that you always take time to share with us when you write a new book. And we wish you blessings and much prosperity on this latest one, although we don't really think you're going to need any help because it's already doing so well (laughs) everywhere. So thank you. I'll always take it. (laughs) Well, thank you. And I'll go ahead and commit. Now I'm on the countdown. I have to come to Israel. Right, Everyone yeah. keeps inviting me, and I want to join you there. So we'll have to come and do the well, show there. See if Sirius will send my producer, too, so I can right. have a buddy. Um, thank you it's for joining us It's our 75th anniversary of our prophetic rebirth uh, here in the modern state of Israel. This is the year to come. This is the year. Yeah, the 75th year. Everyone's celebrating with you. We're so grateful for your time. Joel C. Rosenberg, uh, just everywhere best-selling author and good friend of the show and, and truth teller extraordinaire. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. All right. We'll be back with more Stacey on the right after this. Keep it here.